Scripture says that Jesus actually walks amongst or in the midst of his church. And that he's here right now with us. Hearing you, hearing your longing, hearing your desire. knows us. He looks on us with love and all of the successes and even the secrets that we have. He desires us to experience fullness of life. And Jesus, we just say now we want to open our, our minds and our hearts for you to do that work in us. Lord, we want to experience that fullness of life. And our hearts are grieved today as we think about what's happening to uh, your followers in Afghanistan or people, men and women there. Our hearts are grieved for uh, those who have lost loved ones that we know even here in this area. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of stuff that we face. And right now we want to come to truth with a sense of curiosity for how you might speak to us. So open our hearts, God. We pray this, we ask this, we need this peace, this love, this joy. We pray this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> I'm making an assumption this morning. And the assumption that I'm making is that there are some in this room, maybe several in this room, that desperately long for healing. I'm cheating, to be honest with you, because I was at the first reality check a couple of weeks ago. And we had some groups and tables that were spread out here. And when we ask what the church has an opportunity to step into in this next season, one of the dominant themes was that the church becomes a place for healing. Now, I wonder if you were to ask God today for healing in one area of your life, and it was going to be... Uh, you know, guaranteed. You could walk out that door with healing in one area, where would it be? That's where. For some, it's an area of deep emotional healing. Healing of your anxiety, of your worry, of your desperation, of your fear. For some, it would be relational healing. You so deeply want to let go of the wrongs that have been charged against you from others, but it's really hard. And you find yourself racked with the bitterness and the anger and the lack of forgiveness, and you would want relational healing. For some, it might be physical healing. You have an ailment. And you know you weren't made to live in this world with ailment. You were made as an image bearer of God. Uh, when God dreamed you up, it wasn't to live with ailment, and yet you live in a fallen world, and you desperately would want physical healing. For some, it might be financial healing. 
to be free of the worry and the stress that you feel in the financial realm, whatever that might be, where would you most desperately want healing? I'm making another assumption about you this morning also, because you're not too different from me. And that assumption is that you've probably lived with whatever that ailment is or that pain is for so long that you find yourself struggling to have hope that healing is actually possible. You live with a hopelessness for healing. For the man in our story, he desperately longs to be healed physically. He's blind. He's mute. The original language says deaf, and in the old King James, it says dumb, or it's a word for mute, unable to speak. He just wants to see, and he wants to communicate. And in all of my efforts for success and my stresses in life, it's so easy for me to forget the gift it is to just walk out that door and see beauty and to see my loved ones, to see my wife and my three daughters and to communicate with them. This man is unable to do any of that. Maybe right now is the time for you just to be grateful that you can do those things if you're able. Gratitude is such a huge part of our emotional wellness, but yet we get so trapped with all the things that we don't have that we can lose sight of the fact that we can see. and We can communicate. What a gift. For this man, <clears throat> I want you to imagine what it would be like to grow up hearing about God's healing power and hear, hearing Torah all your life. <clears throat> and never experiencing God's healing power for yourself, what would that feel like? Some of you don't have to imagine very hard because you've heard scripture for a long time and you have heard about God's healing power for a long time and how God brings freedom and victory and you are not experiencing it. So you don't have to imagine very hard the kind of disappointment and despair that this man might be feeling, and you've lost hope that healing is possible. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's how the proverb goes. When someone or something that we've hoped for has been delayed for many years, and it seems a long way off, we can despair. And a person who's despairing sees life in the world through a lens of gray. Without hope, I lack vision for what's possible. Without hope, I'm unable to imagine that things can be different. Hopelessness can lead to, lead to despair, which also then makes our hearts sick or makes us heart sick. And sick hearts easily become self-centered, bitter, angry. You've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And that's because a sick heart can cause you to lash out at others, demonizing everyone else, villainizing others or villainizing yourself. And then it causes you to push others away or others just want to walk away. And in turn, we isolate even further and our hearts become covered in more dust and callous. 
It's easy to lose hope in today's world. In preparing for this talk, I read about three articles from the New York Times about the sense of hopelessness in our generation. This man's lucky, though. He's got some friends. It's a lucky thing when we can count a couple of people that are by our side. And these friends, they were the ones to bring him to Jesus, and they begged Jesus to lay his hands on him and heal him. I wonder if they're just so sick and tired of dealing with his cynicism for years that they're just like, Jesus, please, God, heal this man. I can't deal with him anymore. Or I wonder, was he just such a lovely man that they just longed to see him get well? We're not told. The story doesn't tell us. But in Mark chapter 7, Verse 31, we read these words. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. And there some people, friends, brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. We're not told of this man how long his friends had begged him to go, go see Jesus. That word begged Jesus to lay his hand, by the way, it's a word in the original language that means to plead or ask for with a sense of urgency. Some of you have been begging Jesus to lay his hand on loved ones that you have for a long time with a sense of urgency. That makes you a good friend good son or daughter, brother or sister. We're not told if he was skeptical that a carpenter turned rabbi who allegedly walked around teaching and healing people could actually help him. We're not told how long his friends begged him to go see Jesus, but we are told that he's not a great candidate for healing. He's from a region called Decapolis, which means he's likely a Gentile. He's from the bad city known as Decapolis. He's from the wrong side of the tracks. And he's also deaf and mute. And deaf and mute persons, while protected under Jewish law, were considered second-class citizens. Looked over. So I wonder in the back of his mind if he's thinking, yeah, even if I go see this rabbi, and he is who he claims to be, why would Jesus want to heal me? I'm unclean. Or I'm not as put together as some of those other people. And I wonder if that's what you think in your mind right now as well. For the area that you need healing in. Nonetheless, desperation can bring a man to his knees. And however it happens, the blind man's friends convince him to go along with them because he desperately wants to be healed. He's heard enough about this Jesus character to wonder if maybe, just maybe, there is hope for healing for him. And when you walk through these doors, maybe, just maybe, you say, you know what, but I'll go and check it out because I am desperate. And desperation can bring a man to his knees. Desperation brought me to my knees not too long ago. 
if you've ever started a business, you know the ups and downs of, that, of a business can do that to you. Many years as a pastor, and then stepping into a business in the last couple of years, I've experienced some of the most ups and downs I've ever experienced in planting a church or leading a church. It was a Tuesday afternoon. I received some difficult financial news, some things that weren't going to come in that I expected to come in, and I felt the weight of that yet again difficult financial news coupled with needing to provide for my family, the weight of my own ambition and startup fatigue were enough to cause me to literally drop to my knees and cry out to God. That particular day, my family was out of the house, so I had the, I had the luxury and privilege to scream my prayer with snot and tears running down my face. You know those kind of prayers? Yeah, if you walk with God for any amount of time, you, you know those prayers. I yelled out in waves of anger and sadness and disappointment and doubt And when I said everything I could say to my Father in heaven, I got up and I went back to work. Not much changed. Until later that day, I took the dog out for a walk and I was listening to a story from the CEO of one of the companies that I work with. His name is Jeremy and he talked about a trip he took to Cancun with his wife to celebrate the sale of a previous company, and to prepare for the launch of their new and upcoming company. And when they were in Mexico, a hurricane was about to hit. So they decided to go watch a movie. (laughs) And they went with their friends to this movie, to another couple, and they watched a movie called Signs, Mel Gibson, back in the day. And... uh, After the movie's over, they jump in a little Fiat cab, the only one they can find who's brave enough to take them. He's in the front seat. His wife and friends are in the back. They're talking, and as he sits in the front seat, he remembers the movie. The plot of the movie is about a priest played by Mel Gibson whose wife dies, and as a result, he loses his faith. And Jeremy was saying to God, I don't want to be like that man. If anything were to happen to my wife, God, I want to trust you. If anything were to happen to my three children, God, I want to trust you. And he says, I then said these words, if anything were to happen to me, God, I want to trust you. And about eight seconds later, there was a front headlight smashed into my side of the car. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. It thrust me into the driver's seat And he remembers saying, um, it basically squashed him. His sternum popped out about a foot. He broke nine ribs, severed his intestines. He was paralyzed from the waist down. They're sitting there with the car lodged in, and he's screaming on the outside. But he says, in the inside, I felt calm. And I had this radical thought that, wow, we already talked about this. Like, we literally just talked about this, so I guess I'm going to trust you. And he had no idea that his body is filling up with toxins from his intestines. They're sitting there for what feels like 40 minutes. His wife says it's more like 20. Sounds like me and my wife. I'm going to over-dramatize it. Dramatize it? And he has this feeling like, huh, Mexico. I didn't think I was going out here. And then he got really serious and he asked, 
this question. He said, God, was I your man? Was I a good husband? Was I a good dad? Those were the only things he thought about. He was 32. He had a very productive business life until that point, very successful until then. He had bought and sold 17 companies in the previous three years as a venture capitalist. And the only question he thought to ask in the moment of his death, as he literally started to see pictures of, from his youth when he met Jesus at the age of 11, when he had an encounter with God at the age of 17, when he got married to his wife, he said it all happened with such, in such a rapid pace, strong, strongly, quickly, resolutely. And yet I had perfect peace and the only question I could ask was, God, was I your man? Was I a good husband? Was I a good dad? None of my other successes mattered at that moment. And he looked up at his wife's eyes, and he kind of shook his head as if to say, I'm not going to make it. And she said, yeah, I know. It's okay. And she said, but I want you to know something. You were God's man, you're a good husband, and you're a good dad. And he's like, uh, he, I can't talk because I'm filling up with poison, but you have no idea the kind of conversation I just have been having with God. Unbelievable peace came over me, he said, and I basically was gone. I remember floating above the car, looking down. I could see the rain in the top of the car and the other car, and I'm floating above the car. And right then from the back seat, uh, the friend of the couple, she puts her hand on my arm and she says, no, in the name of Jesus, give him breath. And as soon as she did, it was like an air hose gave me breath and I could breathe. And I came back, and I was in so much pain. And he kept on saying, I know this sounds so weird. Like, I'm not that guy who would normally go off on weird things. But this is, there was too many people there who saw this happen. And then the ambulance comes, and they get him to a hospital, a Mexicali hospital, which he describes it. It was just like a crazy experience. And they started calling him the miracle man because there were several miracles that happened in the hospital. For example, his blood pressure went from 120 over 80 to 60 over 20. And he was starting to turn green, and they wanted to do surgery in very poor conditions. And he's like, no, please. Like, I'm looking around thinking, I can't do surgery right here. So get my friend. Have her pray over me. She's like, she's, got, she's on a roll right now. So she comes over, and she prays. And she says, Lord, show them your power. Let them know that you are who you say you are. Give them 120 over 80. And boom, his, his blood pressure goes to 120 over 80. Then when they had done the x-rays, they saw that his intestines were severed. And so they said, we got to do surgery. So they ultimately took him to another hospital, which was much more sanitary. And they said, but here's what it's going to it's going to the amount's going to be, and you got to pay before you play here. So uh, here's what it's going to cost you. Guess how much it costs? The exact amount that they had in, this, in their savings to start the new company. And so he's like, I don't care. Just do it. So they pay the amount, and he goes to the surgery. It's supposed to be nine hours. They come out two hours later, and his intestines weren't severed after all. They just had to clean everything out, and the doctors are like, we can't believe it. 
And there's a variety of stories that happen. I'll spare you the, the details, but what's significant is that <clears throat> when they get home, his wife and daughter bring the mail, and in the mail is a check, and it's his first client. And he can see it's a check, so he opens it up, and the client says, you know, for tax reasons, we have to pay you in advance, so we're going to give you this amount. Guess how much the amount was? The exact amount that he was charged for in the hospital that was removing the amount that he was going to start the business for. There's another incredible story that I don't have time to go into, but basically during the whole ordeal, his family had an encounter with what seemed to be like a Mexican angel, which as a Mexican, that makes me very happy. And during that time, Jeremy says, I was given the gift of faith. Someone, this man came up, came up to me and said, this is done for the glory of God and you are going to be given the gift of faith and it forever changed your view of God and what God can do. It changed his parents' faith. It changed their faith. And afterwards, what he said was, a lot of people wonder if God exists and the reason they wonder is because they've been told all these things, but they haven't experienced God's power. Jesus walked around preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, raising the dead. If you're a disciple, then you do what he did. We have a culture that's been hijacked primarily with going and telling. Most people trade showing for telling. And when I experienced the showing, my heart connected with my head and my faith came alive. I was given the gift of faith and I experienced healing from worry. And now my wife and I often say, who says we can't? Who says God can't? Who says we can't? And then that same week, I heard another story of healing that I may share in a moment if I have time. But those two stories, while I'm hearing this, taking my dog for a walk, after I had cried out to God, they increased my faith. Hearing about a businessman whose life is spared, given the gift of faith, and he's talking about the showing power of Jesus, it helped me in the marketplace. I know these stories, and you do too, but there's those moments when you're desperate, desperation will drop a person to their knees, and when you cry out and you say, it hurts here, that's where you want God to come and bring that healing, right? Now, no doubt there are some in here who have prayed for some kind of healing from a situation, and it hasn't changed. What then? Let me first say, I can relate. I understand. That's painful. I also think our story shows us why we can live with hope. And here's the main point. The hands of Jesus will bring ultimate healing. The hands of Jesus will bring ultimate healing. The friends say, please, we beg you. We're interceding on behalf of our friend. Just lay your hands on him. And what we see here is in verse 32, then some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak, and they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. See, the hands of Jesus bring ultimate healing, and there's three signs that give us hope that ultimate healing is on its way. There's a word, there's a groan, and there's a plea. I'm going to run through them very quickly. 
First, there's a word. I alluded to it earlier, but that word that Mark uses to describe this man's inability to speak, it only occurs one other place in all of Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 35, a passage written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah is predicting, he's announcing the coming of Messiah the King when he begins to inaugurate a new kind of kingdom. And here's what he says. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. And he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then he will and then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Most commentators believe that Jesus is showing himself to be the fulfillment of Messiah with the second use of this word mute in this text here. And the healings are signs of the kingdom. They're not the kingdom. They're just signs. Just like when you go on a road trip. The signs are not the destination. And you don't expect them to be at every moment of the way. But you're glad when you see them along the way because it reminds you where you're headed. When you see signs of healing in this life, you don't expect them to always be happening, but you're happy when you do see them because it reminds you that you're going to an ultimate kingdom where this king will wipe away every tear. But the word that's used there, stammerer, isn't the word that I want to point your attention to. It's just the on-road. The word in this prophecy that gives hope is the single Hebrew word, nakam which means divine retribution. The prophecy of Isaiah is all about divine retribution. God righting every wrong, bringing justice into the world of injustice, removing evil. It's a prediction that when Messiah appears in fullness, he'll lift the oppressed from the ash heap and he'll do it through divine retribution. But the good news of the gospel tells us that Jesus didn't just bring divine retribution. He became divine retribution. That on the cross, Jesus goes there and he begins to absorb all of those areas that you just longed for healing in. The secrets that you hold, that you wonder if you are the kind of person that Jesus would actually heal. Jesus becomes God's divine retribution as all of evil, all of suffering, all of sin is absorbed into this body of a 33-year-old carpenter who in this case is healing a blind man. And he does so by being taken outside of the city. That brings us to the second idea. Verse 33. After he took him aside from the crowd... Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears and then he spit and he touched the man's tongue. These are odd antics that Jesus is doing here for healing. Blind man's friend begged Jesus just to put his hands on him, to touch him. Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ear, spits, touches the man's tongue. What's he doing? 
He's doing basic sign language for the man. He's saying, this is how I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal you here. I'm going to heal you here. And he's saying, this is what I'm about to do for you. But he does more than just touch him. You see, everybody wants a public spectacle in this moment. They all want to see, they all want to have these holy goosebumps, right? Like, let's see the healing happen. And let's see that cool thing that he does. And Jesus does none of that. He actually tenderly grabs the man's hand, walks him to the side, looks him in the eye, and he identifies with him. Identifies with his wounds identifies with his weaknesses. That's what the good news is, that not only does Jesus become your hero or savior, he does so because he's identifying with you. He's giving you his righteousness, and in turn, he's taking on all of your woundedness. And unlike the rest of society, Jesus gives this outcast incredible dignity. It's between him and Jesus So Jesus grabs him by the hand, takes him aside, and there the two of them lock eyes. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to imagine what it was like for this man when he looked in the eyes of Jesus. What do you see? I believe that what Jesus wants you to see is incredible compassion, love, tenderness. Like, son, I know you've been through. I see it. What do you see when you imagine this scene? I see Jesus smiling at him, touching his own ears and his own tongue, demonstrating, here's what I'm about to do with you. And that's when Jesus then puts his fingers in the man's ear, touches his tongue. You can open your eyes. Now, I can't imagine touching a single one of your tongues in here. I got probably not enough money to Yeah. But Jesus is doing the thing, the very thing that would gross us out. To identify with him, show him what he's about to do. And that's when the groan comes. Verse 34, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, Dot, dot, dot. This sigh of Jesus was so deep that the original word is translated as groan. What's he doing? He's identifying with him emotionally. Why is Jesus groaning? Why isn't he beaming? Why isn't he like bragging about, you have no idea what I'm about to do. Wait till you see how I'm going to do this whole spit thing. It's because Jesus is emotionally identifying with the pain that this man has experienced his entire life. Jesus is sighing and groaning over how sin has hurt and damaged his creation. This man's deafness and speechlessness was just another expression of the impact of sin that started in the garden. And this was a compassionate sigh, an empathetic and sympathetic groan for this man. And those like him. Reminds me of Psalm 34 that says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Or Hebrews 4.15 that says, Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. You got weaknesses today? Of course you do. 
That's where Jesus is sympathizing with. And he's the one, like the friends, interceding on your behalf. Jesus groans, reveals his empathy with a deaf man. His heart is breaking for him. He cares deeply about this man's pain. So he takes him aside and he looks up to his father because he knows where the power comes from. And he groans and he says, For those of you who have groaned this week because you've sought healing, you're tired of it. Jesus is groaning with you. For our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, trapped under evil regime, Jesus is groaning with you. The hands of Jesus will bring ultimate healing, but his healing power is available now because of a word, because of a groan, and lastly, because of a plea. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he says, Epaphtha, which means, be opened. I'm pleading with you, God. Open it up. At this man, and at this, the man's ears were opened, and his tongue was loosened, and began to speak plainly at once. Jesus heals this man physically with just a phrase, with one Aramaic phrase translated with a plea, be opened. My wife and I, we've started praying together again on our knees. It's not our normal practice. I'm not in any way bragging. I'm not that guy. It's like, hey, I'm the knee praying guy with his wife guy. We're doing it because we need Jesus to open some areas in our life and in our heart, our family. Our community. And so the phrase we're saying is, Jesus, just, here's, here's this. Say to it, be opened. Jesus, here's our daughter who's struggling at her new school. We say to it, Jesus, be open. What is it for you right now that if you were to dare believe that Jesus has healing power, you would tell him, there's this area of my life right now. Jesus, say to it, be opened. And first, this man's he hears perfectly. A sound comes into his life. He can hear the crowd and the moving about in the distance. He hears the birds in the tree and the wind blowing through the trees, and he can hear the sound of his own voice. He goes from complete silence to perfect surround sound. And then he speaks plainly. Mark describes his mouth being loosened. The idea reverse, refers to being freed from chains. What needs to be loosened in your life? Where do you want to hear God or even your own heart more? And the word that he says he spoke plainly or he spoke perfectly is the word for orthodox. He spoke, he spoke rightly. Can you imagine what he said the first time he spoke? Like what, did, what were the first words he said? And that was the second story I heard about healing in that same week that I prayed with snot and tears on my face. 
I heard a speaker at another reality. He was talking about his experience of his 17-year-old son going to youth camp with his friend. And his son's friend had grown up with a condition that causes him to speak at a, at a low whisper, almost a wheeze, to the point where he, this man, looked for treatment for this friend. He was like, I can't, how can I, I'll pay for it, I'll help. But there was no treatment. So these kids, including his son, they go off to camp one night. And while they're worshiping, that God is moving, the Spirit is moving, and they're, they're singing praises to God. And all of a sudden, this boy, who's never been able to speak above a whisper, starts shouting praises to God, worshiping. And he turns to his friend and he goes, listen to me. His first words. And the, the friends are like, oh my God, you can speak. And he's like, I know. And then they take him up on the stage. And for five minutes, they give him the microphone. And he starts talking. And he starts blurting out praises to God and God's power and how great and glorious God is. Where do you want Jesus, Epaphtha, to bring opening? Tell him now. Tell him right now. To that physical ailment, Jesus can say, Epaphtha, be open. To that emotional ailment, Jesus can say, Epaphtha, be open. To the financial and vocational ailment, Jesus can say, Epaphtha, be open. To your relational ailment, Jesus can say, Epaphtha, be open. To the fear that holds you hostage or that causes you to hold others hostage in control or lack of forgiveness, Jesus can say, Epaphtha, be open. And why is it that Jesus can say, be open to you and to me? It's because Jesus identified with this man spiritually also when he went to the cross. On the cross, Jesus fulfills another prophecy of Isaiah that like a lamb before his shearers is silent so the Messiah won't open his mouth. He'll be mute before his accusers and he'll take your death on your behalf. Jesus crosses cultural barriers to become the wounded healer. And I have to believe that this man's life is forever changed into becoming a wounded healer himself. Those very wounds that you look at, that you despise, that you hate, even the addictions, even the struggles, those very things could be someday the very ways that God brings healing through you to other people. Are you willing to say, Jesus, be open? We open by asking the question, is healing possible? The story not only shows us that it's possible, it shows us how we can live with hope because the hands of Jesus bring ultimate healing. So if it's possible, then the question that I want to leave you with is how can we participate in healing? I'll give you, just leave you with a few ways. Number one, we thank God for those who bring us to him. You are not self-made. And your faith is not self-made. You've had people in your life who have blessed you and ministered to you and been there for you. And like the friends or the crowd, they've brought you to Jesus and said, I beg you to heal my friend, son, daughter, parent, whatever. We thank God for those people in our lives. And maybe 
they're not the same level of relationship that you once had, but we just thank God for what the role that they've played in our life. Or we ask him to bring others now who can help us get to him. Bring others that I can walk with as a companion. And when I'm down, they lift me and they take me to Jesus and they beg for that healing. Number two, we begin to intercede and care for others who need his healing touch. We learn to identify with the wounds of others relationally and emotionally. We groan on behalf of others. That's what the kingdom of God is. We intercede on behalf of others like the blind man's friends did for him. They didn't reject him because of his blindness or because he was a second-class citizen. They helped him get to Jesus. And thirdly, be radically honest with Jesus about where you need his epophtha today. Radically honest. Right? The whole concept of AA is we're only as sick as our secrets. The rest of the story says Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement, and they said, he's done everything well. The king has come once, being divine retribution. He promises to come again, this time bringing divine retribution. And when he comes, scripture says that On those shores, every eye and tear will be wiped, and we will forever say, he's done all things well.